Cup. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome to the, to the Same, Same Sports, Sports Podcast, where you will find, find talks from our Sunday, Sunday services. services. For more, more information, feel free to check, check out our website, sameballs.co.uk. Thank you. Father, thanks for Paul. Thanks for his passion for you, his love for you. Thanks because he's got a heart on fire for you. I just pray, Lord, that you'd speak through him to us, but also that you'd be speaking to us as we listen to the, the gospel and as we listen to what he has to share this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to use this. So, hi, everyone. As Nico said, if I haven't had a chance to meet with you yet, my name's Paul. I'm part of the clergy team here. And I come to you tonight with a little bit of a confession to begin the evening with. I have a phobia of mice. I do. And I, I was reminded of this a few weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, do you remember when the, uh, kind of the sun came out for the first hello of spring? I know we've forgotten that over this last week, but there was a kind of like a bit of sun, and suddenly all around me I heard the lawnmowers going, or all the, the houses around here, I think Nico was doing his, cutting his grass, and and then Sam and Amanda were cutting their grass, and then I began to feel guilty, so I be- thought I'd better cut my grass. Uh, and, and Jackie thought, right, okay, we better, we better get out there and start sorting out the garden. And uh, she opened up uh, the, uh, one of our sh- little sheds, and suddenly I heard a little bit of a, a, a shriek. Uh, and what we discovered uh, in that shed, what she discovered, was that uh, we had a family, or families, I should say, of mice who had made their home, very nice home, in, their, in, in our shed and had been eating our fish food. And um, I think she expected me to do something about this. And so I kind of went over and lifted something like that and then jumped about 10 miles away as there was a scurrying of little feet. And I, uh, I recognised that even though I shouldn't be afraid, I was terrified of mice. I wonder what you're frightened of or scared of. Anyone scared of the dark at all? No one's scared of the dark. Spiders? Oh, one person says spiders, yes, good, spiders. Uh, heights, anyone scared of heights? Yes, few more people scared of heights. Enclosed spaces being trapped underground, yeah, yeah. Public speaking, uh, yes, F- few of you scared of public speaking. Many of us have those phobias, some of them rational and some of them very irrational. In a, in a recent survey of young people, their second most fear was public speaking. Their biggest fear, though, was the fear of death. I thought that was really interesting. It's interesting because have you noticed how little we speak about death? 
We don't even like saying that word, really, do we? We have kind of sanitized it. And, and now we talk about someone passing. And I wonder if there is even in that kind of phrase some kind of secret hope, something, some kind of resonance with the idea that that person that we loved or cared for hasn't really ceased to exist but gone on to another place. There's a kind of an echo of belief, some secret hope. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, had invested their whole lives in following a person who they thought was going to rescue them, who thought that, they, that he was going to turn the world upside down. And their biggest fear was that all that they had invested in, all that they'd thought about, all that they'd put their hopes and dreams in, would turn out not to be true. Would turn out to be actually just another false dawn, a false hope. It's so easy, isn't it, in the Easter season that as soon as our stomachs have become overfull with chocolate, that we brush past the familiarity of the Easter story, of the cross, of the resurrection. It's almost as if we've become so familiar with it that we don't stop and recognize what this truth means. I wonder if you have had, ever had that sensation in your heart when you know something is deeply true and turns all that you know upside down. Perhaps it was when you first loved someone or you ask them to marry you, or the birth of a child. You had that sensation in your heart that everything that you knew was now something else. Something had changed. In the passage we're going to look at tonight, that was what happened to the first followers of Jesus when they met him as a risen Christ. And it is that reality that we can also know. It is far more important than any kind of decision that we make with our mind. Um, A decision that we make with our mind is really important. It will get us so far. But it will never fully turn our lives around. I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, what will make us do that? What, what is it that we are looking for? 
If you have a, a Bible in front of you, uh, turn to Luke chapter 22. Do grab one. We're going to be um, skimming through a, a few passages tonight uh, before we come into land. And um, uh, you, uh, or if you've got a phone, the phone is cool. That's all right. Look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 22. Let's journey, shall we, with some of these followers of Jesus and understand why they turned their lives around. What was it that made them turn from what, going in one direction to the other? Luke chapter 22. We join the narrative after uh, Jesus was in the garden. He knew that he was going to be arrested and he was with his friends, those friends that had put all their lives, had invested everything that they knew into him. uh, uh, But they couldn't stay awake. Uh, Do you know that feeling when your eyes are getting really heavy and there's nothing that you can do to stay awake and you start uh, biting the inside of your mouth? Have you ever done that? Perhaps when you're driving and you wind the window down and you go, oh no, I can't stay awake, I can't pull over and and you put the music on really loud and it gets cold and and you find your eyes getting, is it just me? Or perhaps that's happening to you right now. (laughs) It's okay. And what does Jesus say to them? Get up and pray. It's really interesting. It's so that you will not fall into temptation. That, that sense of temptation, so often we associate with the big three. Sex, power, and money. But perhaps what Jesus is beginning to unpick here is that there is another temptation that can affect all of us. Uh, That temptation to walk away from Jesus. To turn away from that person that we have invested our lives in. And so... At, at Jesus' arrest, arrest, Peter, as we, and we understand from, one of the, uh, from John's gospel, cuts off the ear of, uh, of one of those in the arresting party. He's full of passion, but the wrong kind of passion. Because he saw that this was a moment, the, the, the person that he had invested in was the one that would turn the tables on those who were arresting him, who would release uh, him and his fellow um, Jews from the captivity of, the, of being under the uh, occupation of the Romans. He, he thought, that this is the time, come on, let's go Jesus, let's go. But God doesn't always work the way that we want, does he? We invest in the Jesus that we have made in our minds. But he doesn't always work that way. And we get confused. 
and we walk away, which is what Peter did. Turn with me to chapter 60, no, not chapter 60, sorry, verse 60 of, of, of chapter 22. Peter replied, man, I don't know, know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And then watching from afar, the man who had devoted his whole life to He watched being tried in a kangaroo court and killed on a cross. Verse, uh, chapter, uh, 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 44. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shine, shining and the ca- curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then with that he breathed his last. John records, of course, how a spear was stabbed into his side and blood and water came out. The sign that we recognize of death when the red blood cells separate from the plasma. Jesus had died, and his followers both accepted that and began to consider what that meant for them. That was their paradigm that became the reality for them. And it is from that context that the women visit the tomb to finish off those burial rituals. And it is in that context that they become the first witnesses to the resurrection. The women who give this retelling, that authentic eyewitness account, because, you see, of course, if this was some kind of made-up fable, the no-storyteller from this age would ever use the testimony of women because the testimony of women was not taken as legal, had any legal standing in a court of law. And it's so interesting, isn't it, as we look at the personhood of Jesus, how radical he was and how cultural he was all the way through his life and his ministry and ongoing and how he positioned women in his inner circle. And it challenges, continue to challenge us, ask us that question, what prejudices do we have? And perhaps there is some kind of deep prejudice even in the disciples because they do not believe the testim- their testimony or they don't comprehend that testimony. But nevertheless, there is something that brings Peter to go and see for himself. And I love this line in verse 24 because it invites us into the story. 
it invites us to think about what we will make of this. Chapter 12, sorry, verse 12 of chapter 24. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away and he wondered to himself what had happened. See, this empty tomb invites us to make that decision for ourselves. What has happened and how will that change us? The followers of Jesus, remember, had made up their mind that Jesus had died. They were facing up to the reality that, in fact, although he had said he was the Messiah and they thought he was, he was rather like the other messiahs that had gone before him and had ended up being killed often on a cross. And so they began to drift away, to disperse, to be disheartened. And this is where we take up, our, take up the story. Chapter 24 Verse 13, on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the, one visit- are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels whom said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have, have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has arisen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told, told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. <clears throat> I love this account. It's one of my favorite gospel stories. I don't know if you listen to uh, Lepto365 each day. I find that so helpful. And on Monday, I think it was Monday, uh, might have been Tuesday, uh, Pete Gregg highlighted two really helpful aspects of this story. Firstly, Jesus didn't just say, hi, it's me but took time to contextualize and legitimize. Legitimize? Legitimize? Is that a word? Thank you for filling in the gaps there. His own resurrection in the story of God. You see, the ultimate miracle wasn't enough. The experience wasn't enough. And this is reality, isn't it? Because we all long for experience of God. We all long for his presence. We all long for the miracle. And that is good. Yet, there is a warning too, because experiences fade. And we begin to question and rationalize those experiences of God away, unless those experiences are backed up by the study of the word, by exploration of the word, by by being in a a life group and working together, by studying it by ourselves, by um, being part of a community where we grapple with what we are talking about. That is why in life groups we spend each week going back over what we've talked about on a Sunday because it's not good just enough just to hear about it. We have to grapple with it. Now, I'd go on to say that if you, can't be, if, if you want to grow as a, as a Christian, you're going to really struggle to grow if you're not in a life group. That's actually the reality. This is what we see in the life of these followers of Jesus. There is, as it were, in a real live life group going on right now. Secondly, as Jesus exposits the scripture concerning himself, he goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament in the light of what has happened to himself. It's as if the whole of Scripture points to Jesus. It is not enough just to have a miracle. Rather, it is the authority of Scripture that, eat, that, that stands true and gives us that, uh, that 
path to walk down in the face of any cultural expectations and preferences. So what does it mean for us to live in the light of the resurrection? You see, what were the consequences for Cleopas and his mate? The burning in their hearts. What happened? Is that they turned round their lives and went to Jerusalem. They had been walking away from all that they knew, from, from, from what they were doing, and they turned back. See, uh, for them, that actually decision that they made then would ultimately lead to their death. Many of those followers ended up on their own crosses. But they went from being disillusioned and disheartened to being alive, empowered, and envisioned. Their hearts had been changed. Their horizon had been lifted. Death was no longer the end. I'm sure many of you have heard of Joni Erickson Tarda. She was in an accident when she was 17. And ever since then, she was a quadriplegic from the paralyzed from the neck down. And while she was still coming to terms with that accident, she would go to church in her wheelchair. And the problem with being in the wheelchair, she found, was that in her church, at a certain point in the liturgy every Sunday, the priest would call everyone to kneel and... uh, (coughs) And she couldn't kneel. And she says this. With everyone kneeling, all certainty stood out. And I couldn't stop the tears. But it wasn't because of self-pity. It is because of the sight of hundreds of people on their knees. Because God was so beautiful. A picture of heaven. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. She goes on to say, I with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? Only in the gospel of Christ do people find such enormous hope. Only the resurrection gives us that hope of not just a new heart and mind, but a new body. Do we have that hope? 
What is our narrative of the kingdom? What is our reality here today? Do we continue in our lives and what we do here is good, but just part of a mosaic? Rather than defining the choices that we make each and every day. In the, one of the resurrection appearances, Jesus appeared to his disciples and showed them his scars. You see, the resurrection means that we look forward to hope when all suffering is gone. But what's interested in Jesus' resurrected body is the scars are still there. Scars are part of him. See, the scars, that the, when, they, when the disciples saw those scars inflicted, they thought that was the end. But in fact, it was the beginning. It was a sign not of death, but of life. A sign not of despair, but of hope. In fact, those scars would come to save their lives. See, sometimes I think we long for Jesus to take our scars away. Rather than to have those scars redeemed. And that we may know him through the cross as well as through the resurrection. Perhaps you're frustrated Perhaps you're disillusioned that God hasn't answered your prayer in the way that you had hoped. As we live in the light of the resurrection, maybe, <coughs> excuse me, maybe God is calling us this evening to change the way that we look at the cross and have hope in the world to come, right now as well. When the temple curtain was torn in two at Jesus' death, that meant that we have access to God right now to enable us to live in that light. That as our hearts are changed and transformed, it gives us the strength to continue. Remember, the scars aren't necessarily taken away, but we meet Jesus through them. Do you know that hope? And do you want that hope? That your life is turned around. That our lives are turned around. You know, we think that this is a decision that we, want, that we make once, but that's not true. That is not true at all. 
we need to continue making that decision each and every day to live in the light of the resurrection that our hearts may continue to burn for him. Can I invite you uh, to stand as a band come up? I'm going to pray. I just, uh, the sense really of that for some of us, we may be like those disciples before the cross and the resurrection had be- have become disillusioned in our faith. We had certain hopes and those hopes haven't been lived out in a way that we wanted them to be. And just that sense that Jesus is wanting to show us a new path through those disappointments and those fears, not to dismiss them, but rather that they may be, as it were, redeemed. And that you may actually know Jesus in the midst of that pain and struggle rather than avoiding that. That might be you. It might be that you've built up a wrong picture of who Jesus is. And you need to come afresh to him this evening, to ask him to reveal himself to you. So that you may meet the risen Jesus, the new, the, uh, the Jesus comp- with the scars. It, it may be thirdly that you need to make a new commitment to him to work out your salvation. That means to commit to being part of a life group, to work the stuff out. We're going to say a, a, a prayer now, and uh, you might just want to hold out your, your hands in front of you. You, you. you know how the Lord has been speaking to you uh, this evening. It might be one of those things that might be, um, it might be something different. There will be people later that you can come and pray with, uh, great to pray with, uh, or pray with someone that you came with. Let's pray though now. Lord Jesus, we come this evening with our confusion, questions, fears, doubts. And we long for those to be transformed or to be re redeemed that we too may have that combination of our hearts being warmed by you and that sense of meeting with you in fellowship with one another Lord give us that that 
that, that sense of being committed to one another, that we will learn and grow together, that we will, we will grapple with your word, Lord. Forgive us from where we have turned aside from your word, where we, we've left it on a shelf, Lord. Lord, bring your word alive and fresh to us that as we open the pages together, it will come alive afresh where, where it has been, uh, become uh, stale. It will, you will breathe new life into it through words of encouragement from one another. That you will give us a new hunger, Lord, as a community for your word. And that we may become, Lord, a, a community of action that, we will, that we, will, we will be have the courage to walk to our Jerusalem, wherever that may be. That, that might be a difficult place. That might be a, a difficult place at work. Might be a difficult place at home. Might be a difficult place with our family, but we will we will know the risen power, your power within us, that we may have that deep, deep joy that brings confidence and purpose. Come, Lord, we pray. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I will be with you. I will be with you. Look into eternity and know that I am with you.